Welcome to the Lead On Podcast. This is Jeff Orge, the president of Gateway Seminary, continuing our conversation about practical issues related to ministry leadership. Well, last week on the podcast, I bored you to tears by talking with you about governing documents. Today, I want to talk about something that's related, perhaps a little more interesting, but certainly an important part of local church leadership. I want to talk about understanding governance structures in churches and how to manage them well, some pitfalls to avoid, some strengths to focus on. First of all, let's talk about the three most common governance structures in churches. The first one is a papal governance structure. That's one leader invested with all authority, like the Pope. Well, that's not a Baptist way of doing things. And since most of you listening to this podcast are Baptists, we can set that one aside. A second common governance structure is called collegial, or college, collegial. This is a hierarchy of leaders invested with authority. Like Episcopalians or Methodists use this kind of collegial approach where they elect people and then those people have all of the authority vested in them as a group. Now, you might think that sounds a little bit like some Baptist churches, but it really isn't. We're going to talk in a moment about what delegated authority looks like in Baptist churches, but that's not the same thing as a collegial system. The third common governance structure is much more common to most of you listening to the podcast, and that is congregational forms of government. This is when a congregation is invested with ultimate authority. Now, this is uh, a bedrock conviction of Baptists. We believe that churches are autonomous, that they are self-governing, that they are not controlled by any outside entity like a denomination or a board or a council or an episcopy or a presbytery or anything like that. Baptist churches are congregationally governed. Now, there are two predominant forms of congregational polity. The first is what I'll call a democratic form of congregational polity, polity, And this is expressed when a church meets to vote on many things. Now, some of you are perhaps old enough or maybe you've heard about churches that have a monthly business meeting or a monthly congregational meeting to decide the important issues that are related to the functionality of the church. Now, some of you are thinking, I've never seen anything like that. Well, that's because you've never been a member of a small church or an older church. Congregational polity expressed in a democratic fashion was not that unusual in Baptist life for the last couple of centuries. In fact, uh, when I first started out in ministry, I went to churches and I led a church as a pastor that had a regularly scheduled business meeting. And it was a big thing when we moved from having that meeting every month to having it once a quarter. These kinds of democratic expressions are still very, very common in many places today. 
But the second form of congregational polity is more common and has grown in greater popularity uh, in the last few years. And that is what I'll call a delegated form of congregational authority or congregational governance, a delegated form. Now, what this means is that while the church retains ultimate authority over its own affairs, it delegates most decision-making to individuals or groups within the congregation. Now, this delegated form of congregational polity is really common in a couple of settings and has really grown as these settings have proliferated in our work. First, it's more common in larger churches. It's very common in larger churches for the congregation to have delegated most of their decision-making to some individual or group other than the whole body gathered for a vote. Larger churches just simply know that they cannot make all of their decisions in meetings that might involve hundreds, if not thousands, of participants. So the congregation has delegated its decision-making authority and responsibility to individuals or groups. Another kind of church model that does this is not necessarily in larger churches, but it's in churches that have uh, some kind of elder leadership uh, that is a group or uh, of men who are charged with the oversight of the church. Now, this is more and more common, and it's certainly not restricted to only large churches. Any, play, any church that has a plurality of men that can serve in this capacity as, a, as elders, uh, the church delegates much of its decision-making authority to that particular group. Now, churches can also delegate decision-making authority to other groups like deacons or to staff, pastors, or people like that. So I don't mean to say that there's only one group where a delegated authority can be given, but there are these common groups, elders, deacons, or pastoral staff, that are typically uh, the ones who receive this kind of responsibility. Some churches still might use uh, terminology like church council or something like that as well to describe some group that might receive some of this delegated authority. So let's review. Three primary forms of church governance structures, papal, collegial, and congregational. The most common in Baptist church life, which is what most of you are participating in who listen to this podcast, is congregational. Two kinds, uh, broad categories of congregational governance. First, democratic, meaning that the congregation itself meets to vote on most important matters that are related to the functionality of the church or a delegated form of congregational polity where the church delegates most decision-making to individuals or groups. Now, when I say the church delegates, I mean that the church at some point has voted to adopt a set of policies or bylaws or procedural statements or something that says these particular issues are now delegated to these particular groups to decide and we will not be deciding them in this kind of democratic fashion where we meet all together to make these decisions. Now, I happen to think that delegated congregational polity is the most workable form of church government. It preserves the 
Baptist convictions about autonomy of the local church and the authority that vests in the members of a particular church, while at the same time creating structures where a church can actually get timely decisions made in ways that keep the ministry moving forward and limit the possibility of being sidetracked by having to wait for decisions that may take a long time to get done if you're involving hundreds of people in the process. Now, having said that, let me outline now four keys to effective delegated congregational polity. The first key is the church must reserve ultimate authority over its affairs. And listen, this is non-negotiable for a Baptist and should be non-negotiable for anyone who's committed to congregational autonomy and congregational authority. The church must reserve ultimate authority over its affairs. What this means is that there is never a time when a church takes a final vote and then never has another say about anything that impacts its life. The church reserves ultimate authority, meaning that the church never gives up its right to say, this is the direction our church is going to go. And while it may delegate its authority to other individuals or groups, it never gives up the privilege of exercising ultimate authority over its affairs as needed. Now, that leads us to the second key, which is the church defines the decision-making authority it delegates. The church defines the decision-making authority it delegates. In other words, it reserves the final vote or it reserves the ultimate decision-making authority privilege on certain things, like, for example, the doctrinal statement. I'm of a conviction that a church should never delegate deciding its doctrinal statement to any other group within the church. A church must decide what it believes. Now, a church may say, we're asking a group to evaluate our doctrinal statement, make recommendations to us about changes to our doctrinal statement. But no small group should be able to determine what a church believes and stands for. The church itself must reserve that kind of decision-making authority. Uh, Another common uh, decision reserved for the church is leadership selection at the highest level. So, for example, a church would decide who its pastor was going to be or perhaps who its elders were going to be. Whatever a church identifies as the highest level of leadership in the church and those people that it's going to delegate the most decision-making authority, those people must be responsive to the church, and the church must have final authority over them. I know that when I planted a church in 1989, we outlined the kinds of decisions that the church itself would reserve for its own uh, decisions and the kinds of decisions the church was delegating to other groups within our church. And these first two things were the first two things on our list. The church would not not delegate control of its doctrinal statement, and the church would not delegate the selection of its pastors and elder-type leaders. The church was committed to selecting those people and having a vote on those people. 
the church was committed to adopting its doctrinal statement and changing it at any point would require another vote by the church. Another common area that a church often retains control or ultimate authority is spending significant amounts of money or significant resources. And included in that is often the adoption of an annual budget. Now, a church can adopt a budget, which is a spending control mechanism, and then allow other people to administrate that budget over the year in which it's adopted. But they can also say, if there's any expenditures outside this budget, like, for example, expenditures to buy property, or expenditures to build a building, or something along those lines, the church can say, we're going to require that we have a vote on those matters before we obligate ourselves to that kind of financial commitment. So these are three examples. Now, these are not the only things that can be on the list, but these are three things that I would advocate ought to be on the list. I think that churches that have the ultimate authority over their affairs can delegate much decision-making to other groups. They can delegate decision-making to their pastors, to their deacons, to their elders. They can delegate by vote saying, uh, in our bylaws, these groups are created and these groups are empowered to make these kinds of decisions. But there are some decisions that are so consequential that those groups ought to have to bring back some kind of recommendation that the church itself gets to decide. And the three that I think are most important are doctrinal issues, leadership issues, and significant financial issues, particularly those that would be beyond the normal budget that was also adopted by the church. Now, if you have this kind of delegated authority, it means that you're only going to have perhaps one or even two meetings a year where the whole church would come together to make decisions. And you might say, yeah, but if they're only coming together a couple of times a year, is it really that important to maintain this process, this procedure? It absolutely is. Because even though the church may only be meeting once or twice a year to decide these big issues, it reminds the leaders that they are accountable to and responsible to the larger church, and it puts the responsibility for these decisions on the whole membership, not just on the few. Now, a third key to effective delegated congregational authority is identifying the groups that are going to receive this authority and what you expect of them. As I've already said, a church can delegate its authority to pastors or deacons or elders or any group that it chooses. But when it does this, it needs to spell out some things about those groups, how often they're expected to meet, what kinds of uh, decisions they're expected to, to make, to whom they're accountable for their decisions, whether it's to the church or to some other body or group within the church. So the church delegates its decision authority to whomever it chooses, but then needs to spell out what those responsibilities are and, what and how they're expected to function. So we've looked at three keys. The church must reserve ultimate authority. Second, the church defines the decision-making authority that it delegates and, and spells out the kinds of issues that it retains for its own decision-making. And then third, uh, the church delegates decision-making to whomever it chooses, but spells out for them 
the expectations they have, frequency of meeting, the kinds of issues they'll handle, and other kinds of pertinent functional decisions. And then finally, the last key is the church must have a means to hold its leaders accountable, to reward them, and to replace them as needed. That's why it's important for a Uh, These different groups who've received this delegated authority to provide at least annual, if not a semi-annual, or even more frequent reports to the church. These reports can be made uh, in writing. They can be made in person. They can be made uh, by video that's then shared throughout the congregation by some means. But by by whatever communication channel is chosen, these Leaders who've received this delegated authority have to be accountable back to their ultimate authority, the church, and then the church needs to reward them with applause and with uh, with privileges and with support, and then the church needs to replace them when they're not doing the job they were assigned and for some reason aren't providing the leadership that's needed. So keys to effective delegated congregational authority, at least four to think about as you're shaping how this is going to work in your congregation. Now, let's spend the rest of the podcast talking about some core problems that undermine ministry or church governance. Now, when I say these core problems undermine, what I mean is it really won't matter what form of government you select. It really won't matter if it's democratic or delegated, if congregational polity is your choice. And it really won't matter if you've spelled out these four keys and worked them out just perfectly. These core problems, if they're not addressed and if they're not proactively strengthened, will undermine every form of church government, no matter how carefully it's designed or how precisely it's implemented. First, the first core problem that undermines church governance is lack of mission clarity and mission discipline in the church. A lack of mission clarity and a lack of mission discipline. If you don't have those two things and they go together, you will have chaos no matter how you do your governance. Because people will be using the governance procedures to go in multiple different directions each one trying to fulfill whatever mission they believe the church should be on in whatever way they think the mission should be fulfilled, rather than coming together with clarity about mission and discipline about mission decisions. So, no matter what form of governance you're using and how well you've put it into place and how good it looks on paper, Your responsibility as a leader is to clarify the mission of your organization and discipline that organization to fulfilling that mission and keep every aspect of the ministry mission-centric so that decisions that are made in the governance structures are all about the mission. A second problem that undermines church governance, no matter what form you use, is a lack of trust between leaders and followers. Now this cuts both ways. Followers must trust their leaders, but leaders must also trust their followers. This mutuality of trust is forged 
through sacrificial service and demonstrated competence, this mutuality of trust makes it possible for us to implement church governance in a way that smooths over the rough edges, solves misunderstandings, and keeps things moving when they're not all done exactly like the documents specify. Trust keeps us going when things aren't done exactly like maybe they, we thought they would be, when things don't turn out exactly as we had planned, when things are rocky or difficult or troublesome or challenging. If you look across the table or across the room and you see someone that you basically trust, you've served together, they've demonstrated competence in the past, and you've demonstrated competence to them, and you realize that while you may be going through a bit of a rocky time, the relational trust that exists is strong enough to sustain you. Trust. You know, if trust is high, the form of church government becomes less consequential. I didn't say it became inconsequential. It's still important to have rules and procedures and direction and directives. But when trust is high, these things become less significant in the effectiveness of the functioning of the organization. A third set of core problems that undermine church governance is a lack of clarity on who decides what. Decision-making processes. Just lack of clarity. Now, I've already talked about that this is one of the keys, so let's just reinforce it now from the negative perspective. And that is, when there's a lack of decision-making clarity, then the deacons are making decisions, the elders are making decisions, the trustees are making decisions, the church is making decisions, and people are overlapping. There's frustration. There's misinformation. There might even be disputing. And there could even be open conflict among the groups about different issues. I recently saw an example of this working well in the church where I'm serving. In our particular church, setting, the trustees of our church are the financial officers. They have the responsibility for monitoring the budget on a week-to-week basis and how it's being spent. They also have the responsibility for monitoring our investments and how they are uh, being uh, monitored and how they're being conducted. Uh, They also have a responsibility to make sure that we have good cash flow and manage the affairs of the financial affairs of our church well. But recently, a matter came before the elders related to the church's finances. And we discussed it, and there was some sentiment in our group that we should uh, pass some kind of directive about what needed to be done. But the more we talked about it, the more we realized that would be an overstepping of our responsibility. And so instead of adopting a directive, we adopted a result. We said, This is the result that we feel that we should move to to honor our spiritual commitments and demonstrate integrity with our finances as a church. However, we said, how to get from where we are to where we need to be may require some financial decision-making that we're not really equipped to make and in a timely fashion not able to make, so we'd ask the trustees to make those decisions, as is their responsibility. Now get the tension and the and the and the and the good working relationship that's going on here. The tension is 
we see something that needs to be done, and we want to make sure that the trustees understand our perspective. But we also feel the tension of not stepping into their area and telling them how to do their job. Their responsibility is that supervision of the day-to-day financial operations of our church. And as the elders, we don't really want that responsibility. But our responsibility as elders is the overall spiritual direction of the church and our integrity and reputation and functionality. And so we made a recommendation of the result. This is what we need to get to as quickly as possible. And we ask you guys on the trustees to figure out the best way from a management perspective to get us there in the next few weeks. Now, that's what I call good, clear decision-making processes that respects the assignments that we've been given, stays in our lanes, so to speak, of what we're supposed to do, trusts each other to get the job done, and really builds on this delegated congregational authority that we have to get these decisions made and to do so in a cooperative way that really advances the work of our church. So what can undermine any form of church governance is lack of clarity on these decision-making processes where you have people tripping over each other, taking each other's prerogatives, making decisions they ought not be making. When you have this kind of clarity, it helps to strengthen your governance. And then number four, another core problem which undermines church governance is lack of information about decisions that have been made or decisions that need to be made. Lack of information. When I hear leaders say, well, that's what we've decided. You just need to trust us. Man, my, my antennas start pinging. Uh, I go on red alert. <laughs> what I'd rather have leaders tell me is, here's the decision we've made. And here's an outline of the reasons why we made this decision and some of the concerns that we've addressed and some of the facts that were at play in our final choice. Now, while I might not agree with their appraisal as they've described it to me, at least the fact that I'm hearing one gives me greater confidence that these issues were fully discussed. And even when some group comes back and says to me, We have made a thorough investigation of this, and we can share this much information with you, but because some of this involves personnel administration, which we prefer to do confidentially, we won't be sharing that aspect of our decision, but we did work through those processes in coming to our final determination. So when I say that information or the lack of information undermines good church government governance, I'm not saying that everyone in the church needs to be privy to every single thing that's discussed about every single matter. What I am saying is good leaders, when they've received delegated authority, go back to the ones who gave them the authority and say, here's the information we use to make our decision. Here's the process we went through to get there. Here's what we feel like we can share with you. And here's some reasons we can't share some other things with you. But nevertheless, we want you to have confidence that there's a comprehensive or global process going on that gets us to our decisions. And then finally, the last core problem that undermines church governance, no matter what form you use, is arrogance among leaders. Well, I'm the leader. Nobody should be questioning me. Well, I'm an elder. I'm a deacon. I'm a trustee. I'm a pastor. The church gave me this authority, and I don't see why anyone's questioning me at this point. That's just arrogance. Humility. That's what's called for. Humility that says, 
I've been given a stewardship responsibility as a leader of this church. God has entrusted me with the future direction of our church. My church family has delegated responsibility to me for decision-making. And all of this doesn't puff me up in arrogance and pride. No, it humbles me. It gives me a sense of burden that I'm responsible. And because of that, it gives me a deep sense of dependence on God and on my church family to sustain me through this leadership challenge. Humility. Listen, no matter the form of church governance, basic humility among the leaders goes a long way to facilitating the effective function of whatever governance structure you're in. So today, we've talked about some different forms of church government. We don't use papal or collegial. We use a congregational form in most of our churches. And in that congregational form, there are two broad categories. There's democratic, which which means everyone gets together and makes most decisions. Or there's delegated, which means the democratic process produced some other groups that a church has delegated its decision-making authority. We summarized four keys to effective delegated congregational polity, how to make it work when the congregation says we want some smaller groups to have most decision-making authority, but we're going to reserve a few things for the church itself. And then some core problems. Look, turn these to the positives. Mission clarity and mission discipline are essential. Trust must be cultivated. Clear lines of decision-making among these groups that have received delegated authority must be maintained. Information about decisions must be shared. And humility, humility among leaders goes a long way to facilitating good church governance. Well, we've talked about in the last two weeks, good governing documents, good governing processes. Governance matters. It's the practical way that leaders get decisions made, streamline organizational function, maintain efficiency and effectiveness. Good governance is essential to good leadership. Learn how to practice it as you lead on.